I don't believe that dentistry should be done in order to treat parafunction. I think it should be done once we've protected people from parafunction so that their dentistry is a choice rather than a necessity. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. I'm Jazz Galanti, and this is the Protrusive Dental Podcast, episode 11. I'm joined today by Barry Olton. Uh, really excited to have him on because he is someone who lectures all over the country about communicating with patients, and he also lectures about parafunction and parafunction control. So what I decided to do, and the reason I approached him, was to marry these two together about an episode about how to communicate with bruxists. It's a huge topic, it's something that's probably born out of frustration in my earlier years when I used to uh, speak to patients and uh, the signs of parafunction were obvious to me. At one stage they weren't when I, when, I, when I learned what I was looking for and we'll discuss that in this episode. It becomes obvious, you know, patients uh, that exhibit signs of parafunction. When you speak to these patients, invariably they actually deny the fact that they're parafunction. They're like, no, I don't grind my teeth and there's a, there's a way you can approach this so that they can actually take accountability for their parafunction because ultimately that has such a huge bearing on the longevity of our restorations uh, and their, their pain levels and whatnot. So I've got a great episode with uh, Barry Alton today. Uh, there is a protrusive dental pearl within the episode so I hope you enjoy it. You can listen to it on, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you usually listen to it. Uh, so thanks so much for joining me and I hope you enjoyed Barry Olson. Let's just start, Barry. Thank you so much for joining me on the Protrusive Dental Podcast. I was just having speaking to you earlier about how uh, you know happy I am that I've got you to speak on this topic because I think you marry communication and the topic of parafunction inclusion and all that sort of stuff really well. So for those uh, few people who probably don't know who you are, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> yeah, sure. Firstly, Jazz, thanks for having me. Um... I'm uh, delighted to be chatting to you and sharing some information with anybody that's listening. So I am Barry Alton. I am uh, a dentist. I've owned I owned my own practice in Hazelmere for 20 years, uh, a private practice down in Surrey. I have recently sold it into the Portman Group. So I've become an associate after 20 years of running my own practice so that I can concentrate a lot more time on delivering my own training courses through the new company, the Confident Dentist Academy. Um, so my background is qualified in Leeds, 93, did my VT. I then moved down south and I became a VT trainer. So I had uh, five years of being a VT trainer because I really enjoy teaching, sharing, training, coaching, things like that. Yep, that's very evident from everything I've seen from you so far. You're you're very generous with your knowledge, and and that's great that you've you know you've obviously had that theme for a long time. As a, I didn't know you were a VT trainer as well. So yeah, mm. uh, I mean I. I, I enjoy interacting with people and as yeah. you know this can be a bit of a lonely job can't it so uh Absolutely. and bringing people on i've you know so i've spent i must have spent hundreds of thousands on my education over the last 20 years and i uh, believe that i could download what i've learned in 20 years i could download that to somebody probably in the next three years and if you can I think if you can help somebody fast track and improve on what you're doing, I think that's something that we all ought to be doing. So I'm very happy to share. That's that, that's perfect. And I think the ethos of that, we're now with the, the digital, digital age and online presence and able to share so quickly. I, I feel that now for young dentists in particular, to able to be able to stand on the shoulders of giants is you know so so much more accessible now. And it's great that we have uh, mentors like yourself who are, who are sharing. And just like you said, helping us to, to fast track. And as, as you know, learning from the mistakes of others and, and accelerating your progression is, is going to be so so good and something that I you know I, I invest uh, like, like you uh, a lot in my education I uh, spent many thousands of pounds so far and I intend to continue to do so and I'm hoping that I can learn faster than some of my like mentors like yourself because I've got people like you who are sharing yeah I, 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 I'm all for that and why reinvent the wheel so um, exactly and the other thing is you know when I'm sharing what I've learned I always learn when I get the feedback uh, because just because I've honed some of the systems in my practice. You know, I've spent maybe 15 years honing some of the business systems and they work brilliantly. 
Uh, I also think that once I'm, I'm sharing those, I get feedback and I'm able to improve upon what I've already created. So I think it's essential, you know, not just in our profession, but particularly in our profession, I think it's essential that we're sharing ideas because it makes everything better for everybody, including the end user, which is obviously the patient. Brilliant. So what are your interests? I, I know, obviously, communication and, and uh, helping dentists to communicate better with patients. But also, uh, am I right in saying that uh, parafunction is, is another one of your interests? Uh, parafunction is a huge interest of mine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've i learned an awful lot over the last uh, 12 years. And actually, um, so my, my training company is in sales and communication. And I was the first dentist in the UK to attend a sales training course, and it was 20 years ago. Uh, And then there were certain things that happened in my life that led me down the parafunctional route and the communications, sales, and NLP route. And that was about um, 14 years ago, my wife had an affair. And pretty much the, for me, ouch. Yeah, for for two years, I didn't know. For me at the time, my kind of whole world. It felt like my whole world had fallen apart. And so I went and walked on hot coals uh, with a guy called Tony Robbins. Ant- Anthony Robbins, yep, very yep. much so. Yep. <laughs> now, I did his course three times, and um, there were certain things that I learned on that course that just ut- utterly blew me away in the way that human beings process information and how we formulate our uh, our thoughts, our internal representations. And so... Off the back of that, I decided to go and learn uh, all about NLP. At the same time, during the breakdown of the marriage and becoming a single father, I was breaking teeth. And a good friend of mine said to me... Your own teeth or patient's teeth? (laughs) Yeah, my own teeth. (laughs) Fortunately, my dentistry didn't suffer. Um, So I broke a tooth and uh, a good friend of mine, a guy called Matt Everett, said... uh, I think okay. you might be grinding your teeth. You need a splint. And I was like, no, mate, honestly, I've been a dentist for 12, 13 years. I, I would know if I was grinding my teeth. And so two months later, I broke another tooth. And uh, yeah, again, Matt says, look, let me make you a splint. And I was like, mate, there's no way I'm grinding my teeth. Another month later, and I fractured beyond repair my upper right five, which I had to have an implant placed. And I phoned up Matt Everett and said, um, think I owe you an apology I think I might be grinding my teeth and he made me uh, an anterior deprogramming splint at the time they weren't involved with NTI and this was a kind of a revolution to me because number one is obviously I stopped breaking my teeth and number two the discomfort in my head and neck that I was having that I hadn't really recognized because it was just an incredibly stressful time, that uh, massively reduced. And so I thought, mm-hmm. blimey, this, you know, there's something in this. So that was the point that I went away and started to learn a lot more about parafunction. I spent a lot more time with, with Matt Everett and Neil at S4S. Great guys. Fantastic guys. And uh, they really helped me begin my journey. So I learned about uh, parafunction. I did some some training in the states well i I just wanted to say i was smiling when you're telling that story uh, towards the end uh because you know essentially the experience that you had whereby you were in denial about your own parafunction is you know we as dentists face this every single day okay and the main thing i want to uh pick your brains about today what the main thing i want to extract from you is how can we communicate with these patients so previously two three years ago maybe even four years ago i say to my patients do you grind your teeth? I used to ask them, do you grind your teeth? And you know, I realized some years later, that's a, a ridiculous question because, you know, it's, it's like telling a diabetic person who doesn't know they have diabetes, are you diabetic? That, that's the, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's exactly like that. That's how I say it to my patients nowadays. And, I, and instead, um, I, I think probably Pav taught me this, was you don't, you don't ask them, do you grind your teeth? You say, uh, are you aware that you grind your teeth uh, but uh, can you can you now d- just dive right in and, and tell me how can we address this issue of the fact that the patient like you were in your own sort of journey completely unaware oblivious and in denial you know you were telling Matt no that can't be the case until further damage has happened happen. so how can we, we be more influential to our patients because we know we can see the signs of it but the patients are completely unaware and there there's that creates uh, an issue of trust 
or, or mistrust. Yeah. Um, let me rewind a little bit because I think, firstly, the majority of dentists are not aware that their patients are grinding and clenching to the significant amount that they are. Absolutely agreed. Yep. And the reason for that is that uh, even when I was a young graduate, we were really trained to be problem solvers. And therefore, we became focused on symptoms, not signs. And so if you look at the statistics and the studies, um, there's a study done in 2001, uh, UK, Germany, Italy. They had 13,000 patients and they determined that they, out of that cohort, 8.2% of them reported grinding during their sleep. Mm-hmm. And 6% had uh, pain related to their grinding. Then there's another study that puts it between 6 and 12%, and then a h- huge study in uh, Sweden put it around about 6 to 12%. The thing is that these are patients that are actively complaining of the symptoms of parafunctional activity. Mm-hmm. When we look at patients on a daily basis, I, without over-exaggerating, I believe 95% of my patients show signs of parafunctional activity. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. 100% agreed. And I feel as though it's because over the last few years, like you, Barry, I'm really interested in this topic. I feel like it's uh, the key to success in our restorative cases, uh, and we can help a lot of patients by diagnosing. Because I think once, you, once I learned to diagnose, and actually my journey started when uh, I was perhaps... Just after my VT, I was doing a part-time job in a Saturday clinic, uh, and I used to see patients who were treated by a prosthodontist, and I'd read in his notes when he'd seen these patients, he would notice all these wear sets. And in my head, I was thinking, what, what wear sets? I, I don't see any wear sets. And when your eyes open to this, that's when you can start diagnosing and realizing, actually, the problem is at around about 95% where you can see the signs of it. Yeah. And so... I think there's a lot. I think it's the most misdiagnosed thing in dentistry today. Yep. I think that, um, you know, they did a, they did another study where they asked people, do you grind your teeth? 22% of them said, oh, yes, I think I do. 67% said, no, there's absolutely no way I grind my teeth, just like I did 12 years ago. Yep. And 11% went, well, I don't really know. Then they examined them. And when they examined them, what they found is that 66% of them had moderate to severe occlusal wear. So that's two-thirds moderate to severe, not even mild, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 50% of them had tongue scalloping. Yep. So that that's nearly 100% of people had the signs of parafunctional activity, mm-hmm. whereas only 22% had the symptoms. Yep. So when I'm, when I'm lecturing, what I'm trying to do is encourage people to look at the signs because there's so many things that we're missing that I believe are attributable to parafunctional activity, such as, you know, I get somebody in that says, oh, I've had gum disease. And I look and they've got wear facets from parafunction on the lower sixes and their periodontal disease is only limited to their lower sixes. Yep. Uh, and what ultimately, what ultimately I thought was actually that wasn't a bacterial periodontal disease. That was a parafunctionally driven bone loss that ultimately led the periodontist to think that it was a bacterial disease. And so that's why this patient presents with something that continued to get worse until we gave him 
till we gave him a splint and it's now stabilized for the last five years and, and i've got patients just like that in fact I, i'm treating a person with the orthodontics at the moment who um his occlusion was such that he was only occluding on his sevens and central incisors so his, his wow. sevens and central incisors only and when he presented to me as part of my comprehensive uh, assessment his lower centrals were root filled okay and, and I asked him, okay, have you had any trauma? You know, why were they root canal treated? He goes, I have no idea. I just went to my dentist. I was in severe pain and he found his infection. No history of trauma. And, it, you know, to me, and you know, having a look at the signs and whatnot, it's obvious he's got these huge masters. So sevens and centrals taking all the load, the centrals are going to lose. And, and that's why they, they lost vitality. And the dentist never made that connection previously yeah. uh, from, from what I can gather from history. So we see, oh, that's a more extreme end of things, but we can see so much more uh, along the way uh, from these, uh, you know, from from no sign to all these extreme sort of late presenters. So a lot of it is a, a tip of the iceberg. So back full circle, how can we become more influential to these patients because they need our help to prevent them yep. losing more teeth, um, having more um, muscular and, and joint related pains. So where do we begin? How do we? How can we approach this conversation? I'm asking you because I know you're, you know, you're probably thought more than anyone else about this because it marries communication and parafunction so well. Yep. Uh, so the reason I went back uh, and rewound a little to talk about signs and symptoms is that the first step for me is to ensure that it is part and parcel of every examination. So it's part and parcel of your new patient and your existing patient examination protocol. Because when I've explained to my patients that I'm looking for it, that's already sowing the seed that at some point I'm going to discuss it with them because I know and you know 95% of our patients are going to show signs of parafunctional activity. And so I want to begin that that process of communicating with them right at the beginning with an upfront contract to the fact that I'm going to be looking at that. So I, I my treatment coordinator explains that uh, amongst the examinations, some of the things that Barry's going to be doing are, and she'll explain what a BPE is. She'll explain, you know, what I'm doing when I'm looking at the teeth and so on and so forth. She'll also explain... He's going to examine your muscles and feel your muscles for tension and tenderness uh, and then look at your teeth for any signs of grinding and clenching. Because what we know is that 95% of our patients grind and clench and not many of them know it. And we give them some reasons of why we want to identify if they're parafunctioning because, you know, we have lots of patients that have had root canal treatments because their dentist was doing their absolute level best chasing the pain, not realizing that the pain that the patient was having was uh, referred pain from muscle problems, not from tooth problems. Yep. Um, so again, the, the first thing I show my patients is a trigger point chart by Travell and Simons. Have you got that? No, I don't. Okay. So uh, if you're doing any parafunctional treatment for any patients, the first thing I would recommend you do is go to Amazon. I don't know where else you can get this. But you go to Amazon and you look up Travell and Simon's trigger point. Mm -hmm. They have uh, they have developed a chart of trigger points for the whole body. But section two is the head and neck. And it indicates where the tension is built up from parafunctional activity. Uh, and in the muscle, you get a, a tender area, a trigger point, And then it shows you where the pain is referred to. Wow. And so as an undergraduate, I was taught that pain in teeth could be referred from top to bottom. And what I what I believe that I discovered and became aware of 12 years ago is that that's incorrect. Over the last 12, 13 years, however long it's been, whenever I've had somebody enter my studio now and say, look, Barry, I've got toothache, but I don't know whether it's top or bottom. The overriding presenting pain has always been muscular. And so I palpate the masseter, I find that, that trigger point, and it's that that's been causing their toothache. Now, I also recognize that there could be a problem with a tooth, uh, maybe a pulpitis, and that has invariably caused them to parafunction more during the night, so that then they get the problem with the muscle. Because I got caught out about 10 years ago, I was really evangelical about this. A patient came in, you know, I've got this pain. I don't know which tooth it is. And I was like, oh, I know what it is. It'll, it'll be muscle. And sure enough, they had trigger point problems. 
and I explained that what we need to do is give them a splint, you know, get the muscles relaxed, uh, and that will sort the pain out. Two months later, they came in. Uh, they'd had no pain for two months, and then they came in with a blown-up abscess on a tooth. And it, mm-hmm. and it made me realize that actually they did have an underlying problem with their tooth. What that, that had caused was increased grinding and clenching, which they presented with muscular pain. But I had, at that point, I'd realized that what I hadn't done is really look at the, the fact that there was an underlying tooth going on that was actually causing them to parafunction even more. So now I, I haven't made that mistake since. Absolutely. But 10 years ago, you know, getting into this in the early days, that was a mistake that I made. So in terms of communicating to patients, we start right at the beginning. We start in terms of our uh, presentation of what we're going to be doing in the examination. My examination protocol is very, uh, it's very uh, automated in terms of I operate a co-pilot operation with my nurse. So she will read out what she wants me to look at and I will report on it. We developed that again about 15 years ago because I was providing my examinations almost in silence, you know, looking at everything and then saying, you know, everything's fine, which meant that my patients weren't hearing uh, everything that I was doing for them. And so we developed Mm. this co-pilot system where my nurse says soft tissues and I'll run through each soft tissue. She'll say salivary consistency and volume. So we have this whole thing that we run through and the patient First time we did it, my patient was like, wow, you've never done that before. And I went, do you know what? I'm I'm embarrassed to say I've been doing that for you every six months for the last eight years. I just haven't been telling you I've been doing it. That's amazing. And it's just building value, isn't it? It's the same reason why I I also do the same, uh, Barry. And, uh, you know, uh, someone called Zach Cara, a friend of mine, uh, taught me to uh, be more proud of the way I examine and actually make it more vocal. I'm now checking for, you know, your muscles, just like you do in the video I saw of your muscle exam video, which uh, I can direct people to that if if that's okay with you, uh, is, is to, I also say I'm now screening for mouth cancer something that uh, uh, I'm trying to think who taught me that uh, James Gulnick taught me that to, to, to actually tell patients that I'm now screening for mouth cancer uh, and, and they go away think oh yeah this dentist he, he actually you know cares and he looks looking for mouth cancer even though we all do it yeah unless you mention it you don't actually communicate that to the patient so that's a, a great point you've raised there yeah I mean it's it's something that I think is essential and if we can get all dentists doing that um it means patients then value the profession more because they understand that we're not just, you know, having a quick look, flicking around. We are actually being very comprehensive in what we're doing. We're just it, at times some of us are failing to highlight how comprehensive and how good we actually are. Mm. So it's part of our exam protocol that starts the whole ball uh, rolling in terms of communicating with patients about parafunction. And then um, there are patients that take time to appreciate that they're parafunctioning and the ramifications of it, just like it took me time. And so yeah. I'm, I don't jump up and down and start beating on the drum. I, I sow seeds. I talk to them. We take 23 photos anyway. So we're able to demonstrate that, you know, you've got a fra- fraction, you've got some uh, gum recession, you've got some sensitivity, you've got some wear, you've got some chipping, you've got this, that, and the other. We also take a position because I call it dental gymnastics. You know, what people do in bed at night with their mouths <laughs> is phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, you can see their wear patterns. If they if they do parafunction anteriorly, it fits like a glove. There's multiple little jigsaw puzzles. So we mm-hmm. we get them to, I get them to go into that position. Almost always they're like, Oh, that's really uncomfortable. I don't do that. And when we get them into that position, we take a photograph so that we can demonstrate why their teeth have got little notches in or V-shapes in the upper anteriors or or whatever it is, we're able to demonstrate. And, you know, some people take longer to appreciate that. And I'm in no rush. You know, I want my patients effectively come in saying, look, I I think you might be right. I'd like to, you know, take your recommendation. Um, Many people just jump on board because we explain it so well. That's a, another amazing tip. I just want to highlight to listeners out there to take photos of people in their sort of um, where uh, facet positions, where the central notches and the, where the lower incisors match up. Even on the canines, they can match up quite well sometimes. So uh, take those photos and show your patients. Uh, and some patients, like you said, might take more time to come round to it. And that's completely okay. 
Yes, uh, it, it is. And the other thing that when we're case presenting, um, if a patient, uh, which is well within their right, declines to have an SCI, uh, we will get them to sign a disclaimer. Uh, and the disclaimer, uh, which is, you know, not heavily worded, it's a nice disclaimer, just basically says, I've been advised that I grind and clench, and therefore uh, my porcelain units or anything like that are not guaranteed. Because, you know, very often you get people that's, that have uh, wear and tear on their teeth, and if they're going to wear their teeth, they're going to smash up the porcelain. So if they elect not to have a splint, then we get them to sign a disclaimer. And that, again, adds quite a bit of weight to how important we, as clinicians, think it is that they, as patients, follow our advice and wear an SCI to protect them from parafunction at night. Absolutely, because because uh, a lot of these patients who come in needing rehabilitation of their anterior teeth is because of parafunction. Uh, and if we're not you know, if we just restore them and, and leave them to it, they're going to break our restorations. Uh, so yeah, in, in my practice, absolutely. Um, we do have guarantees uh, for, you know, indirect work and direct work, different years, but all of that is void and nulled if they don't actually have an appliance or if they fail to maintain and wear an appliance. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you and I are on the, on the same, same mm. page, really. I just want to encourage anybody that's listening to consider implementing that into their practice. Because if we don't talk about that with patients and something does break, invariably it's our fault isn't it yeah you know patients don't come back and say oh my new crown broke because i was grinding on it they come back and say well this was a faulty crown and, and actually you know it wasn't it's just that maybe and, and in a patient's perspective i mean if it haven't been explained or, or the dentist hasn't looked for the signs you know, of wear and parafunction then and if they they don't know themselves which most in most cases they don't then it's it's normal behavior for someone to say hang on this is broken it shouldn't have broken it must have been something faulty with the product yeah exactly right i mean i had it you know 20 years ago when was i a vt so 25 years ago whenever it was um before i really knew what I know now. I had a patient who I thought had a chipped uh, upper right lateral. So I restored it with composite. That that composite came off four times. And at the end of the day, the patient just thought that I was a crap dentist. <laughs> and I was disappointed. I thought I was a crap dentist because this, yeah. this incisor ledge composite kept coming off. Now, you know, I was wet behind the ears. I'd only just come out of uh, uni i was in my vt i didn't realize that it wasn't a chip it was a wear pattern yeah and they were parafunctioning and i was just repairing replacing the tooth that was missing that they'd spent 10 years wearing away and because i'd lengthened it they were then taking 10 minutes to ping it off and so it was you know you don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. and so until you start to really know and understand that you're looking for signs not symptoms you can misdiagnose things. And that's, I was guilty of that 20, 25 years ago. Uh, less guilty of it now, obviously, because I'm fundamentally, I'm looking for this on absolutely every patient that walks through my door. Brilliant. And, and that's, so, that's so true. And I think we've all had that patient. I think every one of us can think immediately when you describe that scenario, a, a name of a patient popped into everyone's head uh, and they and they sort of remember oh yeah that that was definitely the case with that patient yeah uh, brilliant it's like so, it's uh, like the yeah. first time you prep a lower left seven you've got a nice millimeter clearance and then you take the bite and think hang on a minute it's in occlusion again mm -hmm. we've all been there as well right when you when you realize that actually the, there are certain things that you weren't aware of in dentistry or maybe you didn't pick up at uni so yeah it's uh, it's a learning curve it's then I think the idea is then to not make the same mistake twice. Absolutely. Uh, last tooth in the arch syndrome. And I think that could uh, deserve its uh, own episode in itself, basically, uh, in terms of management and whatnot. But uh, fine. What other tips can you share when communicating with our patients with parafunction or where? Because one thing I found actually is that I I'm sure, I'm in fact, I'm definitely, I'm positive that Barry, that when you are explaining to your patients about uh, the signs that they exhibit of uh, parafunction and, and where is that you're probably yep. the first person in majority of cases that discusses with them yes always and it's all yeah exactly and it's always easier in the in the few times that i have been the second or third dentist 
it's just so much easier, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, when I get patients that come in and they've got a lot of wear, and I say, um, okay, so has anybody ever chatted to you about uh, the grinding and clenching? And they go, oh yes. Well, my last dentist told me I grind my teeth, and I said, okay, and and what else? Well, that was it. They told me mm. I they told me I grind my teeth. Full stop. No advice. No discussion about an appliance or anything like that. So. Um, it, it hasn't always made it easier. Uh, they just are aware that they've ground their teeth. And so... Yeah, yeah, of course. So the awareness aspect uh, is what I meant. But whether they're not... Whether they have been explained, the, you know, the rationale of how to take things forward, either uh, in terms of protection or rehabilitation, is obviously something that, you know, may or may not have been discussed. But uh, they, I find the awareness and the acceptability of the, you know, the trust... Is, 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 is there just a few notches higher when you're the second or third person but in the most cases or majority of cases when you're, you or I are the first person or people listening to this for the first time uh, p- people are telling their patients actually you know did you know that you know you actually do grind your teeth and here's the evidence and uh, that's always the, the trickiest bit uh, and everyone will handle that differently yeah I um, so in my communications training one of the things when I learned so I'm a master hypnotherapist as well and one of the things we learn in hypnotherapy is the art of telling stories. Uh, people relate to stories and analogies. And so when I talk about parafunction to a patient, I don't really talk about parafunction. I talk about garden fences. Um, do you want to hear my analogy? I love analogies. <laughs> and uh, please, please shoot away. Okay. So I always chat to my patient and say, look, do you have a garden? And only once has somebody said, no, I live in a flat. And I'm like, oh, damn it. Do you know anybody that has a garden? And the patient went, yeah, of course. I was like, great. Do you have a fence? And they go, yeah. And okay, okay. So let me explain grinding and, and clenching in terms of your fence in your garden. It's like me creeping into your garden at night and rocking a fence post. Every night that you're grinding and clenching, you're rocking the fence posts and they're your teeth. I said, and so... I need you to picture me creeping into your garden. Bit weird, I know, but I want you to picture me creeping into your garden at night and rocking a fence post. Now, if that fence post is made of concrete and it's set in the ground into concrete, then when I'm rocking that fence post, the the energy that I'm using is has to go somewhere, right? It was Einstein that said it. Uh, or was it Newton? It was Newton. So that, that energy has to go somewhere. And basically, if it's a concrete post in a concrete ground, it's going to go into my muscles. And I'm going to have some muscle tension probably the following day. If that post is concrete and it's set in the soil, and every night I creep in and rock that fence post, over a period of time, whether it's six months or a year, eventually what's going to happen is the soil is going to reduce around the base of the post. And that's where we can get some bone loss and some gum recession. And that's ultimately where teeth might be able to become loose from grinding and clenching. I said, now, what I want you to picture is that fence post is made of wood. Now, the fence post is made of wood and it's set into concrete. And I come along and rock it. And what happens is at the base of that post, it starts to splinter. You then come along with your garden strimmer and you take away those splinters And that's where you get things called abfraction. And I demonstrate on my teeth, I click them because I've got abfraction from parafunctioning years ago. And I Mm -hmm. say, that's where you get these abfraction and this bit of gum recession. The other thing that can happen to those posts is they can break. And I said, and I've broken three of my posts. I lost two teeth. I had to have an implant. Or you can chip and break the top of them. And so when I'm going to be looking at your teeth, what I'm going to be looking at is any of those signs whether there's some chipping at the base of your posts, whether there's some groundwork that's gone, I'm gonna look at your muscles as well. Because most patients have signs of all three of those aspects. And some patients Mm -hmm. have the signs, and actually some patients have increased symptoms where their muscles are sore and they present with headaches, neck aches, shoulder pain, migraines, all sorts of things. So I explain that as my opening gambit to a patient so that they can understand that there's a variance in what can happen when you're parafunctioning based on quality of bone, 
you know, what they're grinding on, what the teeth are like, you know, all sorts of different things. And they get it. It makes perfect sense to them. That's a really lovely analogy. And obviously it, it, it sends home that message that sometimes it's the muscles that can take the hit. Sometimes it's just the teeth. Uh, you know, it, it can be a fraction. Obviously, sometimes it could be the TMJ as well. Uh, so that, that's a, a great way to ex- explain to patients. Um in terms of now that we've talked a little bit about communicating with our patients yeah. and, and looking for these signs and whatnot, uh, can we? Can you briefly describe your sprint pro- splint protocols? Does every one of your patients always get an SCI, or are there certain indications where you might prescribe a different type of appliance? Uh, I would say that ninety nine point nine percent of the time, my patients get an SCI. Now it might be a slightly different designed SCI. It could be an upper or lower. If they've got a a deep bite, it'll be a deep bite SCI where the uh, discluding element begins within the palate because I don't want to open them up too much. But invariably, almost all my patients I provide with an SCI. Um, The rationale behind that is effectively it is, as we know, an anterior deprogrammer. It's separating the posterior teeth and providing disclusion during parafunctional activity. We know from the EMG test results that by wearing an SCI, it reduces the contraction of temporalis by upwards of 85% and masseter by 50%. And I believe that, I I mean, I haven't done a full arch splint now for 15 years. Uh, Mm. I have done all of my Dawson Academy training. Um, so I am fully aware of providing uh, the idealized occlusion. If I was going to be reconstructing somebody full mouth, I want do- yep. you know I want dots in the back and lines in the front. I still give them an SCI because mm-hmm. I believe that even with what some people would call uh, a perfect occlusion, if you're a clencher, the occlusion is virtually irrelevant, right? Because you're still going to be firing off the muscles. And yep. if you follow Robert Kernstein's um, belief with T-scan, is that in order to minimize any damage and muscular problems, you need to have, you, if you're aiming for canine guidance, you need posterior disclusion in under 0.2 of a second. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I've got T-scan, and I'm not even going to measure that I can get posterior disclusion in 0.2 of a second because I'm just going to protect my patient with an SCI. So yep. almost entirely it's an SCI. The things that might counter that is going to be periodontally involved anterior teeth, um, mm-hmm. which, to be honest, I really don't see. And if they have periodontally – I've got some patients with periodontally involved lower anteriors, so I will make the SCI on the lower anteriors. If I have a concern about certain teeth, then I might make them a B-splint. Now, the B-splints I will use, which is basically a full arch – splint with an anterior deprogrammer built into it. I will yep. provide B-splints for any orthodontic patients uh, and any of my younger patients, so kind of late teens, because I know from all of our research that there are no occlusal changes from wearing an SCI. But number one is if they've had orthodontics, I want them to wear Essex retainers anyway, so I will invariably make them a B-splint, not an SCI. And then if I am concerned maybe that there's still some growth or there's potential of any occlusal changes through normal natural processes, I will then make them a B-splint as well. Brilliant. And it's, it's great to discuss these protocols. And uh, a lot of people listening might be at various stages of their journey in learning about these sorts of appliances. Uh, in the previous episode or episode eight, I, I spoke to Dr. Barry Glassman and we dispelled some of the myths about anterior midpoint stop appliances. So if anyone wants to listen to that, please go ahead and you can uh, listen more about, you know, whether in, whether they do or not cause AOBs and that sort of beyond this podcast is more covered than that one. Um, yeah. Can I yeah. say, if you haven't listened to it, Please go and listen to him. He is brilliant. It's absolutely sensational. He really changed the way uh, I, th- I thought about a, a lot of the concepts and it's essential listening for anyone who can get to one of his courses or at least start off by listening to a podcast and, and, and go from there. But uh, it's interesting you mentioned about um, orthodontic retention. One of my favorite devices to, 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 to prescribe for those who've had orthodontics is an SCI with Essex retainers built into it. So uh, that's 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 a B splint. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I guess so. The, the way that S4S sort of uh, yeah. sent it to me, I uh, yeah, it, it's essentially that you know you can, these 
you know, there's you know B splint, E splint, U bank splint. You know, so many different names and whatnot. Essentially, the the, yeah. the mechanics behind it is the same, and yeah, it's an Essex retainer built into it, so uh, that that can give you your orthodontic retention uh, retention as well. Uh, and one thing that I found uh, really helpful. And again, this comes to the communication aspect back back full circle is, I don't know if you do this, Barry, but I color my splints uh, that I prescribe with um, a, a, a Sharpie pen, black one, uh, three coatings. Uh, and then when the patients come back for their review visit, I've never had a patient not uh, grind in a wear pattern. And it's usually uh, left to right, sometimes anteroprotrusive. And that then just really sends home the message uh, that, oh my God, I, yes, you're right. I do grind my teeth. And I, I encourage my patients to email me and take photos daily of their uh, sort of uh, wear patterns being formed on their splint. And I, I get loads of emails now saying, oh, Jazz, you're right. Um, here, here's what I found. And patients get involved in this journey. So is that something you you ever do? That is absolute stroke of genius and no i don't and i will be starting it's tomorrow amazing, honestly I, I, three it's, coatings. A, it's a great idea <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, a lot of things I, I i i say are not original i learned that from michael melkers uh but you know this is great to do with patients and it, you know it underpins everything we discussed about in this episode so far about communicating to our patients so sometimes we do have these patients who trust us enough to go ahead with the splint uh and uh, still doubt. still doubtful but when you color it in i've never had a patient including myself when i gave myself a, a, a dual arch SCI with sliders uh, and I have this from day one I had left to right uh, wear which I knew I would do already and my canines are worn I knew I knew I was parafunctioning uh, but then you know to, to wear it myself and then when I woke up in the morning after one night of wear and I saw that clean swipe left and right and everything else was black that's like this is it this is what my patients are going to see as well and this is going to send such a powerful message i think that's a brilliant i i i love that and if you don't mind i'm going to nick it and i'm going to share it oh please do <laughs> share it far and wide and 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 you know this, this is what it's all about in this podcast to, to share little gems to yeah. to help dentists and help patients because ultimately the patients benefit the dentists benefit uh, and it's a great thing to, to to do yeah that's a really that's a really neat idea i'll be doing that three <laughs> three, three coats of sharpie right that's it three coats of sharpie and uh, yeah it, it's great definitely has to be sharpie i've used a, a, a different brand of a, let's call it a black permanent fat marker <laughs> and my patient came in and she, she told me a week later that it, her lips went completely black uh, and i was so embarrassed and apologetic and then i went to the shops and i bought like a 12 pack of sharpies and i've always uh, uh, only ever used sharpies now and then they work great uh, don't use any other brands <laughs> <laughs> yeah other brands are available but don't use them <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah that's really brilliant good well i think we've got thank you very much any other last gems that you'd like to share uh yes okay i would encourage everybody when they're communicating with patients i would like you to learn how to build rapport um, particularly if you're dealing with a patient who is resistant to your recommendation or resistant, as I was, to understanding that they're parafunctioning, if you're in rapport with your patient, you have a much better chance of your patient accepting your recommendations. So whilst we're talking about parafunction and how we're communicating, I think one of the biggest skills I ever learned, in, in, which improved my communication inside and outside of work, was building rapport. So that's something I would genuinely want people to work on and get better at because it has a massive impact. The other thing, uh, just a couple of questions I wanted to, to, to ask. I asked a lot of guests this question is, um, do you know the difference between, uh, a lot of people have different views, parafunction and bruxism, are they essentially the same thing? Are there any nuances? Because dentists use these terms in, interchangeably. Uh, to me, they are one in the same. Yeah. Um, Bruxism is a parafunction, basically, by definition, is outside of normal function, isn't it? Because it's parafunction. Mm -hmm. When I do my uh, training courses for S4S, we do a full day, I, uh, I ask the question, what is normal function? Because I show, I show a picture of, uh, of mild wear, and I say, is this normal? And everybody says yes. And I say, okay, so let's think about this. What is normal function? Normal function of the masticatory system is eating, talking, swallowing, drinking. Um, and so I throw out bags of Haribos. Uh, other brands are available, by the way. So I throw out bags <laughs> of Haribos and say, right, let's do some normal function together. Get everybody to eat some sweets. Whilst they're eating, I say, right, this is normal function. How much are your teeth meeting? And unanimously, the answer is they're not. And I said, that's my point. During normal function, teeth don't meet. There is a maybe mm. a slight touch of teeth when you swallow, 
but yep. teeth don't meet. And lots of near misses. That's what Barry Glassman talked about. Yep. Lots of near misses. And occasionally they do touch here and there, yep. but nothing significant. Nothing significant. So then I show the photograph and say, is this normal? And the answer is no, it's not normal. It's common. And mm-hmm. it's not through normal function. It's outside of normal function. It's therefore parafunction. So even though it's mild wear, and I said it's also age dependent, because if that patient I'm showing them is 76, you might go, do you know what? That's not too bad. But if that patient is 14 years old, I'm concerned where they're going to be in 20 years time. So uh, I'm, I'm keen that we are aware of what parafunction is. And basically, it's anything outside of normal function. And it's the same whether it's I don't mind whether people class it as grinding, clenching, bruxism or whatever. It, it's all the same kind of outside of normal functional activity. Brilliant. And one thing I'm going to ask you only because, I, uh, you know, you, you've got a lot of wealth of experience. Uh, and I've asked a lot of people uh, uh, who are like me and you, geeks of occlusion and, and wear and power function stuff. And you, know, you get different answers. People who represent Dawson, people who represent Coys and Panky. Everyone's got a different opinion about this. Yeah. So let's talk about constricted emloper function. Right. Okay, so if anyone who's listening out there, it's essentially people, for example, with a deep bite and you see the lower incisors are really worn and maybe the palatal of the upper is quite worn. And it's basically as soon as they thrust their mandible forward, it's all anteriorly guided. And it's a lot of forces anteriorly. And when they're chewing, the theory is that actually the, the lower teeth and the upper front teeth are sort of in the way of their function. That's typically, do you think I've described that okay as a constricted emloper function? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty good description of it. Fine. So, so some dentists believe, or some camps believe, that actually you can have a deep bite uh, or a constricted emloper function, but really... Um, in the absence of parafunction, that that's still not going to cause the wear. And whereas other camps are, are, are quite strongly uh, suggestive of the fact that actually, even uh, even if you have this constricted pattern of wear, you know you all that's the reason for the wear rather than any parafunction. Do you see what I mean? I mean, also clinically, it doesn't matter because we're going to have to treat treat that anyway in, in one way or another. But do, do you see what I mean in terms of what the etiology of that wear is? It's a very geeky question, I know. So, but do you have a philosophy, your opinion? I, do, do you see what I mean? I, I do see what you mean. It's kind of chicken and egg, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. you talk about what comes first because you can see somebody that has uh, a deep bite uh, with no with no wear and clearly th- yep. there's no parafunction. You can see somebody that has a deep bite with lots of wear and you could diagnose the fact that there is a restricted envelope of function but to be honest, if you release that envelope of function, if you were able to correct that, does that mean they're not going to parafunction? And I would say not necessarily. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent now of doing as little dentistry as possible. And so the first thing I do is to get any patient with any signs of parafunctional activity into an SCI so that their dentistry is a choice rather than a necessity. Um, because if they aren't struggling functionally and it is parafunction then the SCI is going to solve it for them and if not it's certainly going to protect them at night so that then we can have a discussion about whether we're going to do dentistry further down the line I don't believe that dentistry should be done in order to treat parafunction I think it should be done once we've protected people from parafunction so that they're Dentistry is a choice rather than a necessity, if that makes sense. Do I make, am I making that clear? Yeah, no, no, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so I, I am not really often, I don't believe, presented with restricted envelope and function issues that I then need to look at by doing any uh, restorative work. Because generally speaking, when I've used SCIs for patients for nocturnal parafunction, their problems go away. Uh, there are the odd cases where we will then sit and talk about doing some dentistry, but that's that's not very often now, Jazz. Most, yeah. Mostly I want my patients to be having their dentistry because they want it, not because they need it. Brilliant. And we've talked a lot about the SCI appliance. So anyone out there who'd like to learn more about this, um, S4S have some great courses along with yourself, uh, Barry. Uh, can you just give people information about how they can uh, come onto those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we run them um, London and Birmingham, and we've done uh, some in Sheffield. They are a day long. It gives you a lot of background about parafunction. Uh, you get a free Haribo. 
what can I say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we talk about I talk about different splints. You know, there's the odd occasion that I'll use uh, a different sort of splint if there's some problems with the joints. Um, but really, it's focused on SCI. We show you how to manufacture a chair side SCI. We give you a demo of doing that and just talk you through the whole protocol. Uh, and you get a huge discount actually on the chair side SCI. So it's well worth coming along for the day. You get the discount on the SCIs. You go away and you start making them. All of my staff uh, wear SCIs at night uh, and everybody benefits from it. So it's a really good interactive fun day. Uh, and if you go to the S4S website, they'll be able to list the dates as well. And I must highly recommend for a much more in-depth uh, training from a much more knowledgeable man than me is the other Barry. Um, if you've not seen Barry Glassman lecture, he's uh, he's an absolute delight and um, well worth seeing him as well. So please go to the S4S website and check out uh, the courses that are available. Brilliant. I want to echo that as well. And I'm, I'm a big fan of using lots of different types of uh, anterior midpoint stop appliances. And there's loads out there. There's, you know, the, the B splints, the, the, there's a U-Bank splint, the E splint. I use something called the Flexi Orthotic uh, splint. So there's loads out there. But I think, for, if, you know, in the UK, uh, S4S are certainly the, the leaders in educating people about different types of splints and anterior midpoint stop appliances. So as a starting point, I'd encourage anyone to learn the theory and the background from, you know, Barry Alton and the S4S. And then from there, uh, look into different... Uh, other types of appliances but to be fair S4S for, for me have been a, a great lab and uh, I have no sponsorship from them or anything like that but I just you know I credit where credit's due S4S is a, a great lab for any sort of uh, oral appliance that I prescribe I use them exclusively for appliances and they run great courses as well so uh, Barry with that thank you so much really really appreciate you joining me today lots of great gems there uh, and I'll, I'll put some links out there for the Confident Dentist and the S4S courses uh, anything else you'd like to, to, to share and really great uh, knowledge you gave me uh, you taught me about the the, the the, so what is it the, the pain map on Amazon uh, yeah the, trigger, uh, trigger point by trigger point tra Brilliant. Tra Travel and Simons I'm, I'm going to get that straight away because uh, I think it's so relevant because I'm, I'm looking for these signs and I never knew about these uh, trigger points so that's, uh, that's going to be my first purchase yeah, thank you Jazz thank you for having me and uh, I'm off to order a 12 pack of Sharpies <laughs> lovely Thank you very much for listening right to the end. Uh, that was Barry Olton. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, I really like Barry. It was the first time I actually spoke with him over voice, if you like. Uh, and I really liked him. So I booked onto his course in December in London. So if you're coming to the December course in London, please do say hello. As always, if, you, if you've enjoyed the content, go on my uh, Facebook page, Protrusive Dental Podcast, like it, share it, subscribe on my website, jazz.dental, for uh, episode updates and uh, blog posts and whatnot. Uh, and thanks again. And the next episode is, is with the Implant Ninja, someone called Implant Ninja. Find out who he, who he is, what he's about. He's got a great Instagram profile. Uh, and uh, I was asking him about occlusion relevant to implants uh, and also how to get a good work-life balance. So it's a really special episode, actually. So I look forward to joining you for episode 12 out in a few weeks. Thanks so much. Bye.